0: Welcome to the Kingdom Convos podcast. This is your host, Diane Wong, and I believe that the best story to share is your story. Featuring church and industry leaders, practitioners, and other guest speakers, our goal is to make conversation on God's kingdom through storytelling. I pray that these conversations would ripple out into your local communities, organizations, and beyond welcome back to season three of the kingdom combos podcast we are talking about racism diversity and what the church has to do with it and today i have my friends aj kristen and baby zane here with us today mm-hmm. um, if you hear baby noises in the background that is zane um and it's okay he's a part of the conversation. Um, <laughs> But I am so excited because in one of our other episodes with Yessi and Ian, um, they had mentioned how AJ and Kristen were just really great advocates for them in a time when they were struggling as DACA recipients. So today we will be talking about using your white privilege for true allyship. And I think AJ and Kristen, and hopefully one day Zane, (laughs) um, they're just a really great example um, and people to hear from so without further ado i'm super excited for this episode and as a disclaimer i do not hate white people i have a lot of white friends i love them um but there's just certain things that we need to talk about so let's do it what have you had to wrestle with in conversations around racism oh man
1: First of all, thank you so much for having us, Diane. We're so excited to be talking about this. It's something that has become really important in both of our lives. Um, We'll share, obviously, with this question a little bit about our journey. Um, But we're really encouraged that you're having this conversation on your podcast. We think it's super important. We think it's super centric to the gospel. And so we just want to thank you for wading into that space so oh my goodness wrestling with so much in this in these conversations um i think one of the really really big things that aj and i talk about this often is a huge hurdle that we have come across over and over and over again when we're having conversations particularly around racism and white privilege is we find that a lot of times we are using different language in the people that we're having conversations with and so we found early on that it's super important to just pause and define terms Uh, i mean even the term white privilege or racism or diversity we all use these terms in different ways and we mean different things um so that's been a huge like i think wrestling point in the conversations and then I know for me personally, early on encountering these conversations as someone who grew up in a very, very white community, I really had to wrestle with my own shame and guilt and defensiveness, um, which Zane feels right now. (laughs) Um, But yeah, so I had to, to wrestle with some really challenging emotions personally as well
2: what a What a joy it is to to be here. Um, yeah, I think the the biggest thing like wrestling with uh, started with just my own understanding of the areas of my life where i I was racist and, and am racist and and like naming it and identifying like these are my biases. Um, I want to say like one of my first experiences um, came while in seminary. We had to read this book. Uh, the Christian Imagination, Theology and the Origins of Race by Willie James Jenkins. And reading through this book um, really challenged my percep- perspective and uh, my understanding of what Christian history is and, and really it was a lot of, hey, here's here's what Western globalization is and like how the church has perpetuated that and, and here's sort of, um, <laughs> in a way, like this laundry list of uh, here's what the the white church has done. Uh, historically and and not just America, but um just this this larger history and so then to to say like wow, like the what what is ingrained in my faith and in my theology um that has actually perpetuated this whiteness or perpetuated privilege or perpetuated um, a sense of racism. And so uh, seminary was was sort of that turning point for me where I really didn't have a whole lot of conversations uh, with people about, about I- ideology, about racism, about um, confronting my own areas. And, and as Kristen said too, like I, I think with any conversation um, about any topic, like the hardest thing is to define your terms. Um, and I feel like the, the most fruitful conversations I've had um, with people with with uh, through reading is just, uh, what are the words? How are we using them? And, and what words are okay to use? What words are not okay to use? Um, and then let's, let's also lean into nuance where, um, and we'll, I know we'll dive into some more of that later, um, but the nuance of language and, and create some space for us to really, uh, <laughs> sweet boy, uh, <laughs> uh, create some space for us to, to think about these conversations uh, in a new and refreshing and hopeful way.
0: Yeah, totally. I know that um, right now, especially on social media, there's a lot of terms that are coming up and it's not always clear what people are actually talking about. So could you guys define for us what white privilege means to you? Yeah,
1: I love this question because I, I think it gets at what we were just talking about is that terminology can be really personal.
2: um, And
1: I mean, we we know what the term privilege means kind of as um, English speakers, um, but I know that when I say white privilege and even when AJ says white privilege, like we mean something different on a personal note. So for me, I think this has shown up in um, even just my history of acknowledging that I never had to think about the color of my skin, probably until I was, I want to say like 17 years old. Um, it just was not, it wasn't something that came up and it wasn't until I I traveled a little bit and became aware of what it feels like to be the only person with my skin color in a room um, that I even realized, oh my gosh, I'm white. <laughs> Like, and that sounds almost silly, but it really just, it was not something that came up. Um, whiteness is so centralized in our culture. And so um, people in movies and TV shows, like I could always find um, the white hero or somebody to look up to or somebody to identify with um, in my community, the vast majority of people were white. And so... I never had to think, oh, how is my skin color affecting the way I go about my life and the way I operate in the world? And I think that's just a huge point of privilege, honestly. Um, and, and that was just kind of a big aha moment for me um, that my culture is so dominant that I... I even sometimes still have a hard time pulling apart what actually is white culture. Um, it's like I heard someone explain uh, trying to identify white privilege like asking a fish to define water. Um, and this kind of idea that whiteness surrounds us as the dominant narrative and it's dominant in our culture, and so we don't actually notice it. Um, and so I think that's a huge point of privilege and then also just the the power dynamics when we look statistically at the people who hold power the so those in political office and those who are the highest earners in our nation they're disproportionately white um and so for me i view that as a white individual um not because i work harder or um, because I'm smarter or anything like that, just by virtue of my whiteness, there's a higher probability that I'm going to hold some form of power. And so those are kind of the things that come to mind when I think about privilege and what privilege means for me.
2: Yeah. yeah by, um, I mean, to like define it succinctly, it's the, the structures and the systems that exist, um, you know, with within within formal systems and within culture, uh, that that really do benefit white people. And and I sit here today as a like cisgender, heterosexual, white, evangelical male. Like I've got all of uh, the those classes, if you will, of of privilege. Um, where where society really um, is is quote unquote like culture is like easy on me. Systems are easy on me. I mean, a most recent example, Krista and I were, were looking for a new place to live and we found this amazing um, little house in Glendora in and uh, started talking with the landlord, um, did, a, did a tour. And she says, okay, like we're gonna need to get X, Y, and Z, you know, things in order that are, are pretty normal. Um, but when it came down to like actually running a credit check, they said, you know what? We trust you, we're, you're good. Um, and I And I just like took a pause there. And, and I think probably a good number of years ago, I wouldn't, I wouldn't have even paused and I wouldn't even thought about it and probably would have done some sort of like hashtag blessed, you know, social media type thing. But, but this time around, I, I, you know, didn't have to do a background check and or, or a credit check or anything like that. And I was like, that's and it's likely because like Kristen and I are this uh, little quaint white family like and and we're nice we're kind people um we seem trustworthy and and i just wonder um, if the color of my skin was was different like would that have been the same experience and and just thinking about like renting a house like one of the our most basic fundamental human needs um i experienced the my privilege um in in that moment so it's the cultural it's the it's the structures the systems that exist uh, that benefit a people group, and in this instance, as we're talking about white privilege, it's it's those um, those cultural things and those structural things that that benefit um, benefit uh, white folks.
0: Yeah, that's a really great example. Thank you for sharing that. Um, now, why do you think so many white people get offended at the term white privilege? I think just in my own circles, when I'm talking with friends, mm-hmm. I can see in their faces <laughs> that a lot of offense comes up, right, when mm-hmm. the word white privilege is used. So how did you guys personally reconcile yourselves with that term? Because you guys seem to be in a very good place. Um, and I bet that took a lot of self-reflection, a lot of um, time just sitting with that. But yeah, why do you think so many people get offended and how do you reconcile with that?
2: Yeah, I love this question. So one of um, my former bosses, um, would would sort of like had this anecdote when whenever this topic like came up. So like this, this when the topic of white privilege would come up, they shared this anecdote that was essentially like, you know, my my grandfather um you know was, was a white guy, but he worked hard his entire life. He was a farmer. He um had to, you know, from dusk till dawn work hard to earn his living. Like where where is the check that is white privilege that I can go cash? Right? Like and and I think this is where we need to like create that space for nuance and understand language and define our terms. Um, I think it's really easy for us, um, to, to think of privilege and ease or easiness Mm -hmm. as the same thing. Like, like that white privilege somehow means that like no white people have it easier and like they don't have to work hard and, 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 In some instances, sure, like that, that does exist. Um, I think where for my boss, like the, the conversation, like we could easily turn it to say like, oh, your grandfather was a farmer, he owned land. Oh yeah, did you know that like in a lot of places still to this day, like people of color, like they cannot own land, it's like written on deeds. Like in the city of Pasadena, right down the street, like there are deeds that say like people of color cannot own this house the, the redlining and, and I mean, all of those creation, of the suburb, I mean, all of that <laughs> we can, we can can dive into yes. it. Um, and so, so I think there's maybe some of the offense might come from this idea of like, no, I've had a hard life. Like how, like, how am I privileged if things have been difficult? Like mm-hmm. I've, I've had to work hard. Um, and it's, I don't necessarily want to say that like the, that the white privilege is, is that anything's easier. It's, you still have hurdles, but the, the hurdles are easier to overcome. Um, you still have to work hard, but but sometimes there's, there's not extra barriers put in place. Um, for those of us who are white, like, for instance, I, I went to it, my, my credit check, like I didn't have to do that. Um, and so that hurdle was removed for me making, you know, moving into a home, uh, "Quote unquote easier, but but really that was from a place of privilege, not from ease."
1: Yeah, yeah. I think I I want to be compassionate with my response to this, um, and part of it is because I was definitely early on one of those people who really who really bristled at the term white privilege. Um, And I I did feel like it was like, oh, you're privileged, you've had an easy life, you've had things handed to you, nothing's been hard. And I even, like, I was so uncomfortable with the feelings that brought up in me, which I'll get to in a sec, but I even went so far as to be like, I'm not white, I'm, um, you know, like, I'm German, and I am... Finish and like i'm not white like don't call me white um which is common i hear that a lot um so there's a part of me that's like oh i get it like it hurts the term white privilege hurts um and i i don't think there's actually a way around that hurt but i do think there can be some more understanding so when we talk about privilege um we're not just talking usually about skin color there's a lot of areas that even like all of us on this call have privilege i mean whether that's you know our our gender we were assigned at birth aligns with the gender we feel we are or our sexual orientation is straight or we have ability um and we maybe were like born into a higher socioeconomic status. Like there's so many components, Um, even being Christian, I think in America has with it a level of privilege. Um, And so we we're talking about a lot of different areas when we use the term privilege. However, when we talk about race, I think that the emotional dial gets turned up for people, um, especially for white people because I think to to an extent to acknowledge white privilege is to acknowledge that the system is set up to benefit me and I've been complicit in it up to this point. Unknowingly maybe, but complicit in a system that pushes others down and lifts me up. And so I think that brings naturally a lot of fear, a lot of sadness, um, a lot of frustration, Um, a lot of shame and guilt. And those are uncomfortable emotions to sit with. And so I think instead of us going inward, when we have those things triggered in us, we put up the defenses and it's easier to say that can't be true. America is the land of opportunity and freedom than to wrestle with the idea that I might be privileged because of the color of my skin and the implications that has for my responsibility now as a white person and what that means for our society.
0: Yeah, I think that just comes from, so I was reading a book called How to Win Friends and Influence People. And mm-hmm. in that book, it talks about how you never criticize people because it always puts up um, a wall already between you two. So I think the word or the term white privilege, what it does is it it kind of comes off as a criticism and it kind of is in a way <laughs> a criticism towards the white race, but it automatically puts white people on the defensive mode, like you were saying, and Yeah, I don't I don't know that like that's quote unquote like fixable, but I think it's how we respond to that term and how and like what tone and what way we're communicating when we talk about white privilege. Um, So why do you two think it's important for white people to use their privilege to advocate and support people, um, people of color and minorities? There's a term allyship and even true allyship that's been going around on social media. So why do you think it's important to be a true ally? You
2: all <laughs> Sure.
0: Yeah, I think for,
1: um, for both AJ and I as um, Christians, honestly, as believers, the way that we both have come to read scripture and understand who Jesus is was and is demands um true allyship and so for yeah. us this is this is tied in yeah. with our worldview. and if we look at the life of jesus he was always centering the margins um and like decentering the dominant culture um he did that religiously especially. And so I think even if we go back to the Old Testament to AJ's um, theological stomping grounds, um, if we look at the mandate to Israel, you're blessed to be a blessing. And there is a lot of energy and time spent on really focusing on caring for the marginalized in society, the widow, the orphan, the alien, the people who had the least, so-called advantage in society and so i think for us to be faithful followers of jesus um,
2: he's learning how to eat applesauce
1: it's the struggle to be zane today um to be faithful Followers of Jesus, it means that we are centering those on the margins. And for us, that means decentering ourselves as white people. Um, like I said earlier, white people disproportionately hold power in America. And so, as white people, we're looking for opportunities to sit down and shut up um, and center voices that are on the margins um, and it's possible for voices on the margins to be centered through um, violence and conflict. Uh, but I think as peacemakers, it goes a lot better when those in power share <laughs> or give up their power. It's, it's a, a lot more peaceful. Um, I think it's more kingdom oriented that way um, because we're called to be peacemakers, and I think the the good news of the kingdom of God being here is that those on the margins are centralized, so that was kind of a really long answer to say, like for us, you know being an ally or using our privileged space to um to promote those on the margins—that's that's what it means for us to be
2: Christians. Yeah, and even to to go with that, like to take it even further, like towards the beginning of Scripture, like we, we see very early on in the in the um, Genesis narrative that that humans are made in the this image of God, and and whether we're faith based or not, like we, we talk about this thing called dignity, like human dignity, um, and and the real question is, like, in, in your theology, do you have uh, the idea that all people have dignity? Um, and and it's unfortunate that there are folks in the Christian camp that say, like, no, you you don't have any dignity unless you're part of Jesus. Um, and so that creates this sort of in and out group, and and that's really then this foundation for um, supremacy and this foundation for um, viewing others as as less than. we've seen that throughout history but if you if you read the passage and say like like you know we we have dignity because we're human Um, then then we have to do everything we can uh, to honor and uphold the dignity of others and particularly like during a time um, when we were we were um, really close with with yesi um, and with Ian, like that was a, a big discovery moment for me, where where I was really researching and thinking about what's this correlation between our own integrity um, and other people's dignity, and and sort of landed in this in this place of like we we commit as humans we commit these dignity violations when we when we uh, lack our own personal integrity, and so adding a faith component into that, like when when I. Uh, choose to believe and see and honor the image of God in another person right? like i'm I'm also dishonoring the image of God that 's placed in myself and so for for us like the the charge here is that we we need to do everything we can with personal integrity to uphold and uplift the dignity that we see um, in each and every human uh, that that we interact with. Um, and then you have, of course, the, the the Old Testament charge: the widow, the orphan, uh, the the alien, and the Levite. Uh, the the pastors were included in there. Um, and and so, who are those people in our midst today? Um, uh, who are the culturally outcast? The who are the people that uh, the system right, like widows and orphans, like. Um, widow, like widows, like women, could not own land, so they thus lost any sort of uh, uh, financial means. Like who are the people in in our midst who the system does not allow for uh, people to have uh, specific means? And then those are those are the people that we are uh, commanded to truly uh, to take care of uh, and and advocate for.
0: Yeah, AJ, I loved what you said about how when you start to really understand the image of God in yourself, even like that changes how you treat and understand other people. And I think I've seen that in my own life where as I've grown deeper in my relationship with Jesus, I've been able to reflect on my own biases and my own prejudice more and more. And that's really affected how I love on other people. Um, So, could you guys actually share a few stories on how you've used your privilege to become a true ally for people of color and for minorities?
1: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think this has showed up for us, um, in some ways, like where we spend our money. Mm -hmm. Um, that's like, that's something that we, have been examining as a couple even like where our tithe goes um, and that's like that's one piece um, voting
2: mm-hmm.
1: honestly and and allowing this to be a significant factor in how we vote and our political views um, but I think I mean I think about when we were both working you know together in higher education A lot of what this looked like was creating space um, to listen, to really, really listen and understand students of color. And we didn't always do this perfectly, um, but we really tried. (laughs) We we put a lot of our time and effort into creating space to listen. And I I really believe with my whole heart that listening is a fundamental act of love. Um, and listening in so many ways is empowering for others. Um, so that was kind of like a first step was trying to create space to listen and then look at like, for us, for both of us in, in a similar department, like related departments under student development, really looking at what are the policies and procedures that we have that honestly have been colonized and that reflect whiteness um, and that are impacting our students of color in a negative way. And that, that was not determined by us, <laughs> just looking at it and being like, oh, I think this is white but really from a space of listening to our students. Um, I don't think those in power see as clearly as those who lack power. Um, And so I think allowing the students to define this is what we need is super important. And that was like a really important aspect for us in trying to be supportive and trying to do our part
2: yeah i i think for both kristen and i like we can say um you know with, with the with the experiences that we've had um within higher education and and i've been at a number of different higher ed institutions and um you know it's sort of a rare thing to to be gosh what was i twenty four and and uh, n- named as a the, as a director of the department um and and with that level, there there is some power and there is some sway. And so I love this question of, of what does it look like to use your privilege? And and so for for us, it was we we were in positions and and even today at, at my my current place of employment, I'm I'm director level and uh, I get a seat at the table for for decisions that are being made that impact students and that impact my own staff. And so it's um, know, really trying to sit in in those seats um, and say, how can I, how can I try to not make my own little kingdom, um, but really allow for um, the policies that are being made and the changes that we're trying to do to actually benefit um, uh, those who have for so long uh, not received benefit. So, so for some of that, like, yeah, we created a ton of space um, within our home, um, we continue to create space in our home um, and, and, and social distance, and and we do a lot of phone calls now, um, just for truly just to be that safe space that we we hear about so much um, for students to come and and for people to come and just air their grievance. Um, and I think the the important thing here is to 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 not try to be the savior of the problem um, as well. Like like yeah, like I. Like, I, I don't want to assume that just because I am in power and that I have privilege that I'm also the answer because that's just perpetuating yeah. the system. Um, yeah. And so it's, it's advocating with those who want to see change and helping to guide and to coach, um, mm-hmm. uh, helping to guide and coach uh, those people and how to have the conversations and who to speak with and, and how to present. Um, the, the issues that they see and then understanding too like what are what are the areas that um, we we don't foresee change and um, really beginning to evaluate that question at at what point is um, is the colonization so great and and I cannot affect any change that I need to step out and no longer be a part of it um, because if I'm not able to create change then then I I don't want to be a part of this this system and and move on so i think there's there's a lot of um, pieces in involved with that but creating the space and then recognizing uh too that like i i should not be the person to to try to to sweep in and and be the the victorious person to to help um, them it's you know that the person who's experiencing needs to be the champion um, and and it's really our support, and uh, the way that we can help and have conversations um, is is where we see our our part. Mm,
0: Yeah, I love what Kristen said about how listening is a fundamental act of love. Um, I think that a lot of people don't think much of listening because you're doing nothing, right? But I think by doing nothing and just listening, that goes really, really far for people, and you can't really Um, do anything until you listen and learn from people who are the ones hurting anyway so going back a little bit because we were talking about definitions um at the beginning of the podcast so what does true allyship really mean like how is it different from performative allyship
2: yeah yeah um for for me, like performative allyship, um, I think we've talked a little bit about social media, and and I think we really um, see this. There's a, a, a book that just came out titled "Beyond Hashtag Activism," and so I think in some ways, like this this idea of virtue signaling, performative allyship, the really, and and uh, hashtag activism, they all kind of are are getting in together, or um, running in, in that same stream of. Um, you know, let me just use my my outward platform to support something, um, but at the end of the day, like I'm not actually evaluating or making any changes in my decisions, where my money goes, with how I'm voting, with uh, the restaurants I'm eating at. Um, I'm not making any changes there. So the the true allyship, um, I often think is a lot quieter um, than, than what we might see on the social media. Um, you know, I've appreciated the posts, um, particularly when we, you know, we, we saw George Floyd's uh, killing, we, we, we saw, um, you know, outrage, and then we saw some folks from the white community that's like, hey, I'm sorry I haven't said anything, like, I've just been quiet and I've been trying to read um, and understand and, and get into that place. And, and I think even too, just that like, hey, I'm sorry I didn't post anything, um, can, can almost be in that performative of like, you know, I, I know I should say something, um, because this is this is a big cultural moment um, and and a deep injustice, um, I know I should say something i don 't know what to say, so i 'm just going to kind of virtue signal like hey i 'm trying um, honestly like for me where i 'm at um, i don't have um, my sphere of influence is a lot smaller today than than what it used to be. Uh, my team um, is is uh, Consists of some professional staff, some student staff, uh, but the majority of, of the, the people on my team are people of color, and um, I spend a lot of time um, at my desk um, working on on changes uh, at the organization that will benefit uh, those people. So I'm constantly advocating. Uh, constantly in conversations with my boss and conversations with human resources and conversations with um, other other universities to say like, hey, how are you guys built and what are you doing and what are your positions and, and then coming back to the table to say like, hey, boss, like we need to restructure and we need to give everyone more money <laughs> that, that's here. And so I, I think true allyship sort of looks at that power of your proximity um, like who who are the actual people? like can you name the people um, that are in your your sphere that are in your proximity that you can advocate for versus just this general um, I'm gonna show this off to my you know 700 followers or, or whatever and oh look like you can go on you can go on Instagram and see like story after story after story after story, just kind of the reposts of the same thing. Um, and don't get me wrong, I think uh, building awareness is absolutely important. Um, and, and very important, um, but if but the the quiet work, the unknown work um, that that happens behind the scenes too I, I think that's where the true allyship comes in mm-hmm. um, it's the true allyship is sort of the hidden the unknown um, thing that we do where the performative is, is just that it's a performance it's um, just putting up the uh, the black square because you ought to um, and not because you actually believe in something
1: yeah. I think that's so important, getting at that ought to piece, because um, I think it speaks to motive. Um, I think that is one of the big tells of performative allyship, um, is nobody wants to be racist. Like, that—that that is such a painful um, term to have placed on you, to accept for yourself. Uh, I mean, it just, I think that's one of the very great fears of all white people Mm -hmm. is being called racist. Um, And so I think that that deep fear when it hasn't been reckoned with is a space that performative allyship can slip in because then I'm, you know, I'm posting Black Lives Matter on my social media because I don't want to appear racist or I'm naming my friends of color so that I don't appear racist, versus my motive being love and justice. Um, And if my motive is love and justice as an ally, then I, as a white person, don't actually get to define what true allyship looks like. It has to be defined by those on the margins. I can't be like, oh, I'm an ally because I said so. It, it has to be defined by those using the term. Um, and so back to that piece of listening, I think true allyship listens. And I do wanna say something too about listening um, to voices on the margins, because I think there can be a tendency or maybe even like a drive to, to think, okay, I wanna listen well. I'm going to go call one of my black friends and ask them a whole bunch of questions about racism and what it's like to be black in America right after someone's murdered in the streets. Um, And that is re traumatizing. (laughs) Um, And so I think that piece of listening often can actually also come through Mm -hmm. the many, many voices of color who have written their work down, who have Mm -hmm. been on podcasts who are blogging and who are wading into this space very bravely and heroically. Um, And, and it's doing a lot of our own Mm self-education. I think true allyship, um, the highest ethic is love. Mm -hmm. And so we're asking ourselves, what is loving? Um, And sometimes it's going to be buying a book from um, an author of color instead of calling up, our friend of color and asking them to educate us for free.
0: Yeah, totally. Um, I think performative versus true allyship, it really takes a deep examining of your own heart because as humans, like put the race issue aside, like we're selfish people. Um, We make things that are about us when it's not And I've seen a lot of people do that with the racism conversation. They make it more about themselves than they do about the people who are on the margins who are hurting. So when we think about allyship, I mean, I'm technically a person of color, but I still want to be a true ally to everyone. (laughs) I wanna really support everyone. So that really um, requires us to examine our own hearts and really ask why Like, why am I posting this post about Black Lives Matter? Like, why do I need to post this black square? Um, Yeah, just asking the why behind what we're doing. But if someone listening to this podcast is wanting to use their white privilege for true allyship, where is a good starting point for them?
2: Yeah, um, one of the most helpful resources for me was, for me was uh, a book written by a white pastor named Ken Weitzma. Zane agrees. I'll try that one again. One of the most helpful resources for me was a book written by a white pastor named Ken Weitzma, who, whose uh, book is titled The uh, the Myth of Equality. And it's this white pastor's perspective and his journey um, into just that the myth of equality and the difference between equality and equity, and what racism is, and um, I think what I, I like most, um, what, I, what I like most about it is um, that it's from a white person to white people, um, and and for a topic that is so charged as white privilege and, and racism, um, uh, there there are uh, a lot of incredible resources out there, but I think this is sort of that like. That that first nudge, like as I as I reflect back on that seminary class, like I felt this rub. Um, I wasn't quite sure what was going on, and and I think Scripture speaks to that. Like, um, don't don't uh, fret your small beginnings, because the Lord rejoices to see the work begin. Um, So so just start somewhere, and if you have that abrasion, that sort of like I know. I know something's off and is something's wrong. Um, let me dive into that, and then and then there's plenty of of other great resources as well to to jump into, um, whether it be uh, different seminars. I, I think Kristen can speak to some of those uh, that she's participated in, um, but just starting with with that that simple resource would be a great place. Yeah,
1: absolutely. I think to. Um... I'm going to put on my therapist hat for a minute. Hopefully that's okay. Um, I think because the emotions that are associated with conversations about race are so raw and real and uncomfortable. And I think largely in America, we don't do well with experiencing those emotions, we tend to numb or defend or avoid. Um, A really, really good place to start if you want to be an advocate um, and you want to be a true ally is to do a really honest look at yourself and identify, are you able to sit with really uncomfortable emotions and regulate? And if you're not able to do that, like, you need to start there because I guarantee like we are in in no way, shape or form, perfect at this or experts at it. And that means that we get this wrong a lot. Uh, And so we get called out and there's a lot of like emotional reckoning involved in these conversations. And if we don't know how to sit with our own fear and our own shame, we're going to be defensive we're not going to listen and ultimately like we're going to do damage mm-hmm. and so i think that is a fundamental unbelievably important starting place is can you sit with your own uncomfortable emotions because if you can't you're not ready to be an ally yeah. <laughs>
2: God, it's like a little orange cups just going. In
0: there. <laughs> oh, Glad that part. <laughs>
2: yeah.
0: You're probably is he tired?
1: Uh huh. Yeah.
2: Oh
0: yeah.
1: Oh, poor baby.
2: Poor bad naps.
1: Poor parents. Let's be honest. Just kidding.
2: Yeah,
0: real. <laughs> um. Yeah. So <laughs> I always like struggle with the transitions because I have to like remember what. Yeah. <sighs> so real. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so yeah, I love what AJ and Kristen just said about true allyship and um I'm going to get a book list and some maybe podcast list from the podcast and I'm going to put that in the um notes of this podcast so it's a resource for you guys. But what are some what are some things to be mindful of as an ally?
2: Yeah, I I you're going to make mistakes, so let's just be mindful of that. Um, and and as I worked with students of color, what I what I found the most fascinating thing is that our oftentimes like our silence um, hurts more than getting something wrong, um, because when we get something wrong, we at least have the opportunity to be corrected and, and to then move forward and get it right. Um, And so this happened with me all the time i i mean i can think about um a conversation i had with some students about you know like oh yeah well well, la is this melting pot and and just kind of this phrase that i've heard you know like living in la there's a bunch of people here there's there's cultures um and it was sort of this like well um sort of this this idea of like well a melting pot actually loses identity Um, And, and we actually need to move away from melting pot language and use mosaic language, um, where mosaics are, uh, you know, in each individual stone um, is that color, whether it's, you know, if it's set of orange and blues, like those rocks are orange and blue. They're not painted. They're not, um, they're not dyed. They're, they're not anything. It's just, it's an orange or or blue rock. but the second piece with that too, is that we need the humility to be shaped and molded. Um, so um, while we're out trying to get things right, we're gonna get it wrong. And then do we have the humility to receive correction? Um, so to continue with that kind of that mosaic um, idea, like are, are we able to be formed to to be our piece of the picture? Um, are we Are we able to have that meeting that take place? Are we able to have the trimming take place so that we, we fit where where we belong in there? Um, and, and I think it's really easy uh, to become incredibly overwhelmed with all of the areas for potential allyship. Um, so start with one. Like don't allow yourself to be so overwhelmed with like, well, do I support um, Like Black Lives Matter, should I be supporting LGBTQ uh, communities? Should I be really advocating against human trafficking? Like, what? Like, which of these areas? Like, do which which of these injustices? You know, I want to do all of them, and I think um, that pride. the pride of trying to do all of that, but we we lose sight of the body of Christ. Like we we are individuals, and if we choose, if each of us choose to ally in a particular area, like the world becomes better, um, justice becomes realized in more areas. So start small. Like start with the look at your community, look at your proximity. Who are the people around you, um, and what is that first step you can take? Um, that would be my three things to hang on to.
1: Um, there's an author that said something really important that really stuck with me early on in, in kind of my journey of uncovering what we've been talking about. And they said, um, white people are not the enemy, white supremacy is the enemy. Um, and I think keeping that perspective, um, cause I think there can be two, extremes when we're talking about and navigating um, topics of race. And that is either I've done zero wrong um, and I I have nothing to own or be responsible for or apologize for. And the other piece I think is I'm the worst. Like, <laughs> you know, I I am, terrible and we can almost like go pity party status. And so I think keeping like in mind, like I'm not the enemy as a white person and I can be a white person who is owning my stuff and is against white supremacy. um, I think that was really super helpful for me. Um, And then I think the other piece, and I know we've said this over and over and over again, um, but starting with getting educated, read learn explore um especially if you are a person of faith um in christian circles like our our faith has been very much dominated by a eurocentric perspective and so being really mindful that we cannot divorce how we read scripture from our situation our our like cultural racial all of those like we we don't get to separate that from the way we read scripture and so are there theologians of color that you're reading Um, are you hearing the gospel through different lenses um and just being mindful of that i think there's so much beauty in and i think even the gospel just kind of necessitates that we have a diverse perspective
0: yeah Yeah, totally. Um, So if someone is listening to this podcast right now, and they're in the process of wrestling with their own white privilege, um, I'm curious to hear how you would encourage them as a white person who might be further down the road with reconciling their feelings towards um, their own white privilege.
1: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. It's... um, It's not an easy thing. I think that's important to say. Um, and so I think I'm like a really, really big advocate of self-compassion. Um, I mean, in America as a white person, I think you've been handed a, a set of ideals and beliefs that are riddled with bias and you didn't necessarily choose that and so having compassion towards yourself that this is a hard journey and you kind of got thrown into a mess (laughs) um i think that's super super important and then i think for for everyone whether you're a person of color or a white person knowing that like rest and self-care are also acts of resistance um and part of doing this work is it's a long game, like it doesn't happen in an instant. And so taking care of yourself in the process is so important. Um, Yeah, so just knowing it's not easy, caring for yourself in the midst of it, and just don't do this work alone. Find some other people who are also doing the work and do it together.
2: Yeah a couple things that, that come to mind um, is I mean it's confession right that brings us to repentance um, it's God's kindness that, that leads to repentance it is um, if we're in this place where we're wrestling with and we're acknowledging um, gosh you know there there's some areas of my life there's some practices there's things I believe um, that really are indicative of white privilege like Naming those um, is an act of confession, right? and then from there we we move to repentance. Um, there's also a spiritual practice that is has been lost um, a bit, and in, in I think in, in particularly in evangelicalism, um, it, it's lament. Um, and the the key to lament is is that we we don't just say, like, we lament and we've lamented. Like, oh, we lament this thing. No, like, lament is to acknowledge your participation or your culpability in, in an injustice. It's A lament is, is a, a, an amped up confession, if you will. It's to say, like, I, here are the ways that I have contributed to injustice. And, and lament really only takes place when, when we can go before God to say, like, here's the things that I have done. Um, And it's that corporate setting. Here's the things that we have done. um, And then then we get to move forward. Um, But until we have those confession moments, until we have those lament moments um, where we we grieve, um, we sit and grieve our participation, or we sit and grieve the ways that we have knowingly and unknowingly contributed into a system like that is a beautiful first place to start. Um, and and I think even just the the fact of if you're listening today and, and you're wrestling like you are on the right path, um, but it's it's not an easy path. And and I think Christ gets at that quite often that that the way of the kingdom is not easy. It's not this broad road, but it's um, it's it's sort of um, jagged and hard and and, and challenging. But um, I would say like if if you're finding. Um, same thing so too (laughs)
1: Um,
2: try that again uh if you're finding in your life that um, you are wrestling with something that's that's often the key indicator that you're moving towards uh, a kingdom mindset um so as as uh said like sabbath restfulness like the way in which we we honor God as, and, and honor the image of God that's in us is to embrace those restful rhythms. Uh, the empire, quote unquote, um, the, the uh, colonialism, the, uh, the way of, of capitalism wants you to hustle and wants you to work and wants you to give 24-7. Um, but what if, like for one day a week, you didn't do those things? What if we, we had our discipleship look more like Jesus, um, where Jesus took naps and took naps on a boat in a storm. So even as things are crazy and chaotic around us, um, even Jesus found a way to do self-care. And I think that gives us permission, too, that um, there's a constant stream, an endless stream uh, of things that we can find on the Internet, uh, in the news, on social media. Um, take a break from those things. Take a nap rest Um, and and there you'll find some of the the best work and movement forward
0: Mm, yeah yeah self-care is a huge part and you need to let yourself um be able to process i think a lot of people there's a lot of there's just a lot of information that a lot of people are trying to soak in and delete social media, separate yourself, take some time to really process what's going on. And um, yeah, I just wanna emphasize even coming from a person of color that we understand that it's not an easy thing to reconcile yourself with. It's not easy, but I think what is worthwhile to um, a lot of people and what is appreciated is even the effort that's being put forth to really understand um, how your privilege has Um, affected you and affected people of color so yeah for someone who's wrestling with their own right privilege right now like i just want to say thank you like coming from a person of color but just on behalf of um well i don't want to say on behalf of (laughs) every community but on behalf of just myself um thank you because it's important Mm -hmm. that um we do these things individually um in our private times. So yeah, thank you so much for being on my podcast, AJ and Kristen and Zane. (laughs) Yeah, so that was using white privilege for true allyship with AJ and Kristen Zimmerman. Thanks for coming on. Thank you for tuning into this episode of Kingdom Convos. If you liked our conversation, don't forget to subscribe for similar episodes. You can connect with me by following my social media and you can find that in the details. Remember that your story is the best story to tell and use every opportunity today to share yours. Thanks for listening.